Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today, I'm talking about the UN Climate Change Conference that was held last month in Poland. And I was there with my guest, uh, Stuart Scott. And Stuart is the executive director of scientistwarning.org. Welcome, Stuart. Hi. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's great to get a chance to talk with you. I'm sitting here in Harvard Square, and I think you're a little bit further away. Yeah, I'm in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I, uh, <laughs> I moved to Hawaii before I realized that climate change was the big one. Uh, Hawaii oh, sounds like uh, a okay place to be since the hillsides are so steep and stuff. Well, okay in certain respects, not so okay in others. You know, it's a, it's a very pleasant environment for sure, but it's, um, uh, well, it's a challenge because my work takes me to international locations and it's as about as far as you can, it is as far as you can get from any major land mess, I'm told, uh, on the planet. Yeah. Uh, but but you, you have to fly. You said, can't drive. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I got to fly or, or or sail, and that <laughs> takes weeks. But but um, I I it forces me to put a kind of a litmus test to all of my travel. That is, is it worth the carbon spending the carbon for where I'm going when I'm doing there? So I don't I don't take short trips, uh, you know, far away for frivolous reasons. And that's what this show is partially all about. Is how can we reduce our carbon emissions? And um, mm-hmm. we first met uh, through scientistwarning.org. Tell us a bit about um, how you pulled this organization together. Well, scientistwarning.org. Um, I, I've been doing what I do for, uh, well, directly for over a decade now and indirectly for much longer. And um, about a year ago, uh, I... A, a climate friend, Paul Beckwith, who's known to many, um, alerted me to this World Scientists Warning to Humanity second notice, a peer-reviewed paper that had been published, uh, I think, uh, uh, last December, a year ago, December 2017. And um, I, I read it and was like, you know, it was jaw-dropping just how spot-on it was. And here were thousands and thousands of world scientists who'd signed this. And I said, this is good messaging. And if there's anything that I can do, I can, it's being able to spot a, an opportunity. Um, so I contacted them right away and asked if it would be possible to work with them. And they said, what did you have in mind? Uh, when I say they, it was Bill Ripple. He's the, uh, the, the lead of the entire effort. He was the lead author. He's the the, the point person, and God bless him, he's also a full-time uh, teacher, uh, at, at, uh, professor at uh, Oregon State University. And um, so he said, what did you have in mind? And I said, well, you know, your effort is fantastic, but it left out one very important stakeholder. He said, oh, hmm. I said, the public, the public. There's no way for the public to signify that they endorse it, that to get involved, to, to draw conclusions from it. It's like you launched this paper. It got a lot of attention. It, it's, it was record-breaking in certain ways and the number of signatories at publication. But 
its 15 minutes of fame, so to speak, is, is gone. And, and so he said, okay, show us what you have in mind. And I, I created a prototype website. He and his steering committee for the Alliance of World Scientists, they call themselves now, um, checked it out. And they said, sure, go for it. And so we created scientistswarning.org.org. And um, it's, a, um, it's a website that's kind of home base for a, a movement that we're trying to create. Now, gosh, we, 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 God knows we have enough movements in the world. You know, as my father used to say, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Everybody wants to start their own movement. But um, we're hoping that it's a, a worthy contender, shall we say. And the concept is that we have a huge number of environmental organizations, environmental organizations, um, dealing with issues like save the elephants, uh, save the rainforest. Oh, God knows we need that this year with Bolsonaro about to bulldoze the Amazon. But, but they're all limited. They're fighting for or competing for scarce philanthropic dollars and, and pounds and yen and whatnot. And um, so they're, they are not an alliance. They needed to be an alliance. And they need, and so I, the idea that I came up with was we need to kind of go out of the, the plane in which all of these environmental organizations exist and, in my judgment, in which they are failing to, to accomplish the big goal. And we need to look at this as an ecological problem. And that's what the, the scientists' warning to humanity did. The, the, the peer-reviewed paper said we have an ecological problem. It's got many stressors. There's a common theme and that common theme is what I amplify. And the, that common theme is that we have a dysfunctional global operating system, I call it. And that operating system controls us for its... Well, let me go into it. Let me give you my punchline early in the interview. Our global operating system is known commonly as money and economics Money, not the stuff in your pocket, but money, the, the, the customs and the rules and the laws, you know, and the, the, the little writing on your dollar, if you're an American, saying legal tender. Legal tender is a, is a legal formula that says everyone must accept this. Now, you can pay your, your, uh, grow for your groceries in barter, or you can pay for it in local currencies if your community has a local currency, but you cannot pay your taxes in anything but legal tender. So it forces that currency to be the currency of the nation. Now, guess what? That currency is not created by the federal government. In our case, the United States. In England, the pound is not created by the British government. It's created by a central bank and that central bank is a private institution owned by a small number of banking families and, and banking cartels, shall we call them. And the ownership is usually hidden in, you know, chains of, of cross ownership. And so we have a situation where nearly every nation on earth is owned by a central bank that's not part of the government, it's not a sovereign bank, there's one nation I know of that's an exception, and that's Costa Rica. And so the saying, he who pays the piper calls the tune, takes over. And the bank 
and the banking system essentially control the nation. Towards what purpose? Towards growing, towards economic growth, which is, has been sold to us as a panacea. You know, uh, the fam- famous uh, John right. Kennedy... So, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, am, am I waxing too poetic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so, do go on. There was an alternative that was talked about in po- at the UN conference to this GNP, yeah. right, which is a yeah. circular economy. And well, so there, that's there are what many ways you're doing with scientists' yeah. warning is, is trying to do something along those lines of as you, what's the sustainability term you use? Um, you're uh, calling it sustainability, a sustainability, a, a sustainable um, circular economy, or well, no, we uh, I, okay, I forget. Uh, okay, but, there there are, there are many ways. Many again, a lot of people like to repackage similar concepts, make it their own proprietary. Uh, the one I work with, I call it ecological economics, um, and right. it's also called economics. steady. It's also called steady state economics, but it's, it challenges yes. the basic notion of the current economic system that growth is a requirement, and mathematically, growth is a requirement of the current system. Well, you can only grow so far, and then you start to exhaust your resources, and we have arguably grown past that point. And, and we've... That's right. And we've diminished our, our nature resources. Right. So, so and this is something and, that and scientists the, the current warning system, org is promoting, right? Right. Well, and scientists, so somehow warning. you've got published in a magazine. Well, you're promoting a number of scientists' warning trends, and one of them is economic, right? Yes, yes. But we, we, we're, not, we're yeah. not promoting one particular economic solution. We're basically trying to no. wake people up to the fact that the current economic solution is a, uh, a pig in a poke. Right. Although at the conference, there was a lot of talk of circular economy. And whatever that meant was kind of a catch-all for similar types, you know, types of things. Um, so mm-hmm. all of a sudden with nobody, you turned around and, and got this message out in a couple of publications and suddenly, right? Yeah, well, to, about we, the work of scienceforning.org? Yeah, I, I was, was fortunate and, and diligent and I know a few journalists and um, a couple of them wrote articles in which they mentioned us, uh, scientistsforning.org, with, with linked references and that got us a, a good deal of attention. And um, I've been doing these videos uh, for years, and this year the video, the, the set of videos we did at the climate talks was particularly good and got a lot of attention. Yeah, that you know the. So before we go to that, um, uh, this is a great this is a great resource, scientistswarning.org, and I would urge people, mm-hmm. the listeners, to uh, bring that site up to see what we're about, scientistswarning.org. Uh, you'll see some videos there that we're also going to be talking about. But most importantly, I invite you to join with us as an endorser. We don't have members because we don't have dues. We simply have, um, it's like, like Stuart said, this is a network. This is not competing with all the NGOs for the donor dollar or anything. We're simply a network of people communicating across boundaries. And if you'd like to develop a voice, you know, please um, go to Scientist Warning. Dot org and um, and join with us. We're also looking for businesses and uh, right, Stuart, for businesses and uh, nonprofits. Yeah, um, yeah. W- there, there are 
a couple of ways to uh, endorse the warning. Uh, one is as an individual, another is as a, an organization, either an, uh, an NGO organization of some sort or a local garden club, for that matter. Um, and, and the third is if you are a scientist or a social scientist and you want to endorse the warning as such, and we have a third category for that. Let me make one small correction, though, um, Rob. Oh, I think yeah. there is language on the website that calls the people who join us members. And so I don't distinguish dues-paying, non-dues-paying. A member is somebody who chooses to be part of something. Um, in our right. mainstream economic system, that usually means you've got to pay me some money each year so I can stay in business. But we have constituted what we do without funding very, very, very intentionally. I've been working for 10 years without seeking funding because once you seek funding, then this insidious operating system of money has a grip on you. Somehow your, your sponsors can censor what you do. Um, you, if you start paying people for the work that they do for you, you have to spend an appreciable amount of time fundraising for future work. So what we do is remarkably uh, done all as a patchwork of individual self-empowerment. Yeah, and it's so important to remind people that they're not going to get hit with appeal letters. You know, if you visit a webpage on most sites, suddenly you're cascaded (laughs) with give us money. And so I want to say that we're not that. And um, that's that's a a huge distinction. Um, We're going to have to take a short break, but when we come back, Sure. Stuart, you're going to tell us about meeting Greta Thornburg and um, mm-hmm. the effect that she had on the UN conference and that she's having around the world. Yeah, so we'll take no, a short break. Her right name back. is Greta Thunberg. Yes. Yeah, tell her okay. my name. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking with Stuart Scott of scientistswarning.org.org. And we're talking about, oh, so Stuart, um, yeah. tell us a little bit about how you uh, got to know Greta Thunberg and bring her to this UN climate conference, climate change conference. I mean, it's really hard to get into this conference, uh, and yet somehow yeah, you pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been, I've been doing it for 10 years, and every year it seems the UN makes it trickier to uh to get people in but um well i i was contacted uh, early in 2018 by a group uh that calls themselves we don't have time uh that was trying to put together a uh climate summit without flying great okay and they asked me if i would participate fine except i had to wake up at 2 a.m because they were going on at, <laughs> at at 3 p.m at the other side of the world um, in subsequent conversations with them later in the year, I asked if they wanted to come to the climate negotiations, and um, and they indicated that somehow that they had a relationship with Greta Thunberg, um, who's the the 15 year old climate activist from Sweden, who's just pretty much taken over, taken the world by storm. Um, this this wonderful little girl. Um, I don't know if she's known to your audience or not, but let me spend just a moment thumbnail. She uh, decided to do a one-woman sit-down strike, school strike for the climate, outside of the the parliament uh, of Sweden, and she stopped going to school. And she said she was going to not go to school until the government responded appropriately. And... um, well, great. So the the government got embarrassed and moved her across the bridge a couple of weeks later. But her her climate strike stuck, and she became world famous. And now there are uh, school strikes for the climate all over the world. Um, basically, youth the youth that understands how how they're getting screwed are banding together and rising up and saying we're going to do something about this, which is wonderful. Thousands of children in Australia. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Australia, I think, is kind of the leading uh, uh, nation in terms of the number of, of participants. So God bless them. But it's going on all over the place. It's it's hard for me to even right. so how monitor. You, how you, yeah. So how did you get Greta oh, to come? So, well, so so um, the folks said we don't have time. They were actually the ones who discovered Greta on the very first day of her school strike, and they sent a cameraman right. over and did an interview, and, and they made her a little bit famous on the internet, and she started getting interviews. Well, well, when they connected me with her, I um, actually they connected me with her father, Svante Thunberg, and I asked if he would be interested in, in bringing Greta to the climate talks if I could get them passes. And he said, yes, that they would, um, but they would only come for one week, for the first week. And she doesn't fly anywhere, so it meant they had to drive from Stockholm down to, uh, to Katowice, Poland, which is, you know, a couple days' drive in their electric vehicle. Um, and, but it, he was game for the idea. And I went about getting, getting them badges, and um, the word went out once they were there that they were there. And the Secretary General of the UN, uh, he gave them badges for week two. So he invited Greta to come and speak at a private meeting. That's one of the YouTubes on our, uh, our channel, one of our, yeah, our we'll videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and um, I, managed, I managed to get her into the climate talks, and she was basically the, the hit of the show. She stole the show in... in in lay terms. So um, it was just, let's play that. An opportunity that, an opportunity that presented itself. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to play the video so you can hear the auditory of, um, of Stuart welcoming Greta and the word she had to say. It's about 18 minutes. Let's play the video. I will not beg the world leaders to care for our future. I will instead let them know that change is coming, whether they like it or not. I want to thank you all for coming. I'm your host, Stuart Scott, and we're coming to you live from the UN Climate Negotiations COP24 in Katowice, Poland. My co-host, Victoria Hirth, and you can contact us if you'd like to contact us about the contents of the program. Today's guest, seated in the front row of the audience, is Greta Thunberg. She's a 15-year-old climate leader. She's a Swedish student activist and an inspiration for all of today's youth. And today's program, Greta Thunberg's School Strike for Climate. Now, before I bring Greta up, this is my favorite photo of Greta, but it always brings me to tears. Her sign roughly translates as School Strike for Climate, and she sat for over two weeks outside of the Swedish parliament until they were so embarrassed by her presence, if I understand it right, that they gave her a fine. She was attracting so much attention from the press that they made her move across that bridge off of the island in which the Swedish parliament is located. And she's still out there now every Friday. It's no longer every day. She's gone back to school for four days a week, but received a lot of support, I believe, from her from her teachers in carrying on, because they know how serious this is. The politicians don't know, or they know and they don't care. So we can't save the world by playing by the rules, because the rules have to change. 
Greta spoke to a crowd in Helsinki, Finland, that was a record-breaking crowd. An all-time record for a gathering in Helsinki. Now, I'd like you to please warmly welcome Greta Thunberg. Now, I just want to give you, while Greta's sitting with us, an idea of what she's inspired. 15,000 people in Australia, in over 30 places, in 30 seasons. And, and just to add to that, uh, as you probably know, got the uh, support of, of the Senate to go on strike, despite the Prime Minister being against it. So it's really fantastic. At first, the Australian politicians chided the students and said, get back to school. You shouldn't be striking. You shouldn't be activists like this. Let me show a couple of the, the slides, and then we're going to ask Greta a few questions. So this is one of the many demonstrations in Australia. I love that sign. Make Earth great again. Beware radical child activist. Civil disobedience requires no permission slips. Okay, now... Greta, what was your inspiration? How did you get into this? Yeah, uh, it was uh, when I was maybe seven, eight or nine years old. My teachers told me to turn off the lights and save paper and uh, don't throw away food. And I asked why. And they said, because there's something called climate change or global warming that the humans are causing. And I remember thinking that it was very strange that humans who are an animal species on Earth could be capable of changing the Earth's climate. Because if we were, and if it was really happening, we wouldn't be talking about anything else. And that will be our, f that will be our first priority. And then I started reading about it because I thought it was so strange and and I read about it more and more, and the more I read about it, the more I understood it. And then I started at home, I started with the turning of the lights and pulling out the chargers to save energy and electricity. And so that was a small start for me. And then my parents, they were pretty annoyed. <laughs> I was going to say, it must have driven them crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But then they started realizing, and I told them that we, this was important, and, I, and we started reading about it together and watching films and reading books and articles. And before I knew it, I was a climate activist, or how do you say it? <laughs> and, and what was it that um, made you take your direct action? What was the turning point? What made you think, no, this is important enough and this is the thing that I'm going to do about it? Yeah, it's pretty strong to stop going to school. What made you think yeah. of that? Did you just not like school? <laughs> That's what my boy would say, I think. No, I don't. I like school. Um, but there were some youths in the USA that refused to go to school because of the school shootings. And then I was in some kind of a group with several youths that uh, we were going to come up with new projects projects to do. And then someone said, what if children did that, refuse to go to school, but for the climate? And then I thought it was a very good idea, and I thought that hasn't been done before. 
And so then I tried to get people with me, and but no one was really interested, so I had to do it alone. You tried to get people to do it with you to strike school? Yes. You asked your friends and they said no? And the people in that group mm. also. Mm. <laughs> Good for going it alone. <laughs> I call her online and in person, not to her face, I call her Joan of Arc. She's really rallying the troops. In this case, the troops are the kids, the kids who know that we're compromising their, their world. Just to say, it really shows the power of being a follower because you're a leader, but you, you're also following the people who were doing something similar somewhere else. And I don't know if you've seen that video about the first follower effect, but it just shows that the leadership through taking inspiration from others is, is, is really important. Um, I believe you had a very important meeting today with Secretary General Guterres. Um, can you tell us something about how that went? Yeah, it was a private meeting with uh, uh, a couple of delegates from youth, delegates from different parts of the world. And uh, then uh, I held a speech together with, with uh, a guy from Fiji. And then we took a picture. And then Guterres, he talked as well. Can you tell us what you told him? Do you remember? Yes, I talked about um, climate justice. And uh, I thought that, I told him that uh, for 25 years, countless of people have stood in front of the United Nations climate conferences, begging our world's leaders to stop the emissions. But clearly that has not worked since the emissions are continuing to go to rise over and over. And so I will ask, I will not beg the world leaders to care for our future. I will instead let them know that change is coming, whether they like it or not, and to beg the people instead to realize that our political leaders have failed us so that I will not beg the world leaders because they have ignored us and they will ignore us again. Hear, hear. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yes, our political leaders have failed us. Our political leaders are answer to a different master. They don't really anymore answer to their populations. They're only concern is making sure they have a robust economy and everybody's making plenty of money and then once every few years they just have to trick the people into re-electing them if if it's a really a democratic country so although i can see that quite justifiably you're quite skeptical about these conferences and what they might achieve in terms of leadership um but obviously the conferences uh, bring people like you and people like all of us together. Um, what would you say would be the best outcome of the next two weeks' discussions? I mean, these conferences are, of course, they could be very good. They could be very useful, and, but they aren't. But we could make them. And so I, what I hope that we all of us achieve at this conference is that 
we realize that we are facing an existential threat and that this is a, the biggest crisis humanity has ever faced before and we stand in for changes that we cannot understand that we just kind of take that in and do something with that information because people people don't know how emergent the situation is so first we have to realize that and then we have to as fast as possible do something stop the emissions and just yeah try to save what's what we can save save what we can save i want to interject a point from news of the last couple of weeks donald trump one of the most despicable persons on earth i believe uh, recently dismissed the report issued by his own government saying intelligent people know better essentially i'm intelligent and i don't believe it is what he said now donald trump is probably the most pathological liar um, that i can think of uh, and dismisses real news as fake news while he makes up his own lies and knows that the media will cover him and make memes out of them repeat them until we think that they're real if a 15-year-old girl gets it, how come a supposedly intelligent president of the United States doesn't get it? So, what message would you like to give now <clears throat> to all the other children like you around the whole world? They were all listening at this moment, and hopefully, via our wonderful media, they, they will be. Um, what, what would you want to say to them? I would want to say that we have to understand, we have to realize what the old generations have done to us, what they, what mess they have created that we have to clean up and live with, that we have to make our voices heard and make, make them try to clean it up after them just to yeah make the voices heard and how how would you like them to make their voices heard what what would you they said how greta what should we do you can do anything you can school strike you can demonstrate on the streets you can you can do anything. There's just one more question from me, and you might have some others, Stuart, and then I'm sure the audience may have some. What is it that gives you hope? I think that we today are very... We care very much. We say all the time we have to have hope. If there's no hope, then we can't do anything. But I think that even if there is no hope, we have to do something that is not having hope is not an excuse for not doing anything because uh, of course we need hope but the one thing we need more than hope is action because once we start to act hope is everywhere 
So instead of looking for hope, we should look for action. And then, only then, hope will come. Uh, there's a gentleman whose name I'll mention, Dr. Herman Daly, who's said to be the founder of ecological economics, also known as steady state economics. And if we had steady state economics in place, we would not be in this mess instead of infinite growth economics on a finite planet. And Herman Daly once said to me when I was interviewing him online, he said, it's our moral, ethical obligation to have hope and to act. So you got it. I, I think we probably have a little bit of time for uh, questions from the audience. I was just wondering, do you think there is not so much value in um, doing things based around social media and messages at conferences to bring people's voices in or the only way is direct action uh, such as school strikes that, that can make a difference? I think that we need both. But uh, I thought why I striked is because I thought there was not enough direct action. But of course we need both. Lady third row in from the right who's had a hand up for a bit, thank you. Thank you, Greta. You're a great inspiration to all of us. Um, what is your message to the big business people who say there's really no problem because we can fix this problem with geoengineering, which means interfering with the planet's uh, planetary mechanisms, the ocean, the weather, the clouds, and so on. What do you children think about that? I think that it's, it's very scary because we don't know very much about it. Why do we have to do that? Why can't we just produce and stop the emissions? Is that so hard? And I think that it can, you can say that it's like one person who is dying and says, I'm not going to have an operation, I'm going to wait. In the future, there might be a magic pill that I can take. It's very risky. It's the risk of the experimentation, isn't it? Because we don't know the knock-on consequences and we have not got a good track record in that. So like you say, it's, a, it's very risky and it's also pushing it out to the future uh, when actually we have tried and tested things we can do now, which include uh, reducing our emissions. Now, we're getting very close to the end, so if there's one very short question, very short question... My name's Toby, I'm from Tasmania in Australia, um, and I actually just supported students on going on strike last week in Australia, um, and hundreds of my friends actually went on strike in Hobart. I was just wondering, what is your message to students that have been on strike last week in Australia, and you know, what's the message of solidarity that young people can send? That we, we are all in this together, and that we, we, together we are strong, and we, we will not give up. We will not give up. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, Victoria and myself and Greta. This is the contact address that I promised you. If you have questions for Greta, you can send them here as well. And we're coming to you live from COP24, UN Climate Negotiations in Katowice, Poland. Thank you.
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. We're talking... I'm talking with Stuart Scott of scientistswarning.org, and we just heard Greta Thornburg talk about, um, you know, the importance of acting and being responsible and acting for equity and justice and uh, not to be polluting the world that we depend on, and that this is a crisis, and it should be treated as a crisis. Uh, and um, Stuart, she, uh, she mentioned... Um, uh, a meeting, um, and you cue that up, and then we've got the recording of that. We'll play next. Okay, yeah, let me, let me just say a word about that. Um, yeah. I, I got her, Svante and Greta to come to, the, uh, to, to Poland on, on Sunday, I believe they arrived, we got registered, and the word went out very quickly to the UN that this world-famous youth climate activist was there, and so the, the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, Antonio Guterres invited her to a private meeting 
Um, only her father was allowed to attend, uh, uh, along with whatever other invitees. And um, she just skewered, as far as I can tell, she skewered world leaders, inc- unfortunately, including the Secretary General, I think, by his, his position as the, uh, the leader of, of disingenuous leaders. So, anyhow, do play it. It's, it was a wonderful little uh, bit of brilliance by, by Greta. Before I start, I just want to thank you, Antonio Guterres, for speaking so clearly about the climate crisis. It brings a lot of hope to people. For 25 years, countless of people have stood in front of the United Nations climate conferences, asking our nation's leaders to stop the emissions. But clearly, this has not worked since the emissions just continue to rise. So I will not ask them anything. Instead, I will ask the people around the world to realize that our political leaders have failed us because we are facing an existential threat and there is no time to continue down this road of madness. Rich countries like Sweden need to start reducing emissions by at least 15% every year to stay below a 2 degree warming target. You would think the media and every one of our leaders would be talking about nothing else, but they never even mention it. Nor does hardly anyone ever mention that we are in the midst of the sixth mass extinction, with up to 200 species going extinct every single day. Furthermore, does no one ever speak about the aspect of equity, clearly stated in the Paris Agreement, which is absolutely necessary to make it work on a global scale. That means that rich countries, like mine, need to get down to zero emissions within 6 to 12 years with today's emission speed. Because how can we expect countries like India, Colombia or Nigeria to care about the climate crisis if we, who already have everything, don't care even a second about our actual commitments to the Paris Agreement? So when school started in August this year, I sat myself down on the ground outside the Swedish parliament. I school strike for the climate. Some people say that I should be in school instead. Some people say that I should study to become a climate scientist so that I can solve the climate crisis. But the climate crisis has already been solved. We already have all the facts and solutions. And why should I be studying for a future that soon may be no more, when no one is doing anything to save that future? And what is the point of learning facts when the most important facts clearly means nothing to our society? Today we use 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can no longer save the world by playing by the rules, because the rules have to be changed. 
So we have not come here to beg the world leaders to care for our future. They have ignored us in the past and they will ignore us again. We have come here to let them know that change is coming, whether they like it or not. The people will rise to the challenge. And since our leaders are behaving like children, we will have to take the responsibility they should have taken long ago. Thank you. Okay, just if you watch that live on, on our, our channel, you'll see how uncomfortable Gutierrez was with this little child speaking the truth so clearly. Anyhow, go on. Exactly. No, exactly right. I wanted to paint the picture. There was a panel of about a dozen people, and the secretary's on center, and then Greta is seated right to his left behind the panel. And so uh, the secretary is good to keep his attention focused on her, but... Great has got this look that would melt an ice cap faster than global warming, you know. <laughs> and she's given that too. Yeah. So, extraordinary, um, it, extraordinary it individual. Extraordinary. And, and uh, directness to, to beat the band. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what, and then a week later, I was leaving close to 8 o'clock, and Greta was coming in to speak to the delegates of the U.N. Climate Change Conference. And they'd right, put her on right. the agenda for like 8 o'clock, and yet they're famous for not keep, keeping to their agenda, but to have a 15-year-old come to give a four-minute presentation, you'd think they could be honoring of that, and instead they made her wait until midnight to give this presentation. So let's run the presentation, yep. and then we'll talk about the um, impacts. Go for it. Okay. Ms. Thunberg, you have the floor. My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15 years old and I'm from Sweden. I speak on behalf of climate justice now. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. But to do that, we have to speak clearly, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. You only speak of green, eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess, even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. You are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. 
I care about climate justice and a living planet. Our civilization is being sacrificed for the opportunity of a very small number of people to continue making enormous amounts of money. Our biosphere is being sacrificed so that rich people in countries like mine can live in luxury. It is the sufferings of the many which pay for the luxuries of the few. The year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, maybe they will spend that day with me. Maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you are stealing their future in front of their very eyes. Until you start focusing on what needs to be done, rather than what is politically possible, there is no hope. We cannot solve a crisis without treating it as a crisis. We need to keep the fossil fuels in the ground, and we need to focus on equity. And if solutions within this system are so impossible to find, then maybe we should change the system itself. We have not come here to beg world leaders to care. You have ignored us in the past and you will ignore us again. We have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We have come here to let you know that change is coming, whether you like it or not. The real power belongs to the people. Thank you. Wow. We just have yeah, a few minutes Rob, left. What are, what's our takeaway? Yeah. One of the reasons they may have left it late is because by midnight, the number of delegates in the room probably went way down. You know, and, and th- those things are not accidental. So, anyhow. Yeah. Is there so, anything else you'd was, like to cover? Uh, just, you know, the impact of her and, and how that, uh, despite all this bad news, uh, there seems to be... Uh, a re-energizing of those of us from nonprofits and not maybe delegates and stuff. Well, everybody. I mean, there seems to be a re-energizing of doing something about climate change, even though they're not government. Yes, I, I think this and year how, we how, will see lots of. You yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll see lots of what. I, I say. I, I think this year we will see lots of of stuff happening because we are um, beyond the point where. The, the fraying of the web of life is becoming obvious. And with the political shift to the right in countries as, as people become afraid of the other, and, and they, we, we, we're going to see um, a lot of movement this year, I believe, in many directions, some of them not so, so good and some of them um, towards the goals we need to go towards. And, and I just would like to be um, part of the solution and not part of the problem. And, and I thank you, Rob, for helping me in this regard. Well, you are part of the solution because you managed to pull together about 27 different people who spoke on your panels in that media room at Katowice, Poland. And so we have a yes. wealth of 13 interviews that people can yeah. see 
at our website, www.scientistwarning.org, no, uh, or scientistwarning.tv. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. And we will, at COP25, at COP which will happen in Santiago, Chile this year, I expect to do an even better set, and we'll be doing conversations all year long that we'll be publishing on our uh, YouTube channel. Okay. Yes, exactly. So we've used up all yes. our time. Stuart, thank you for taking the time to really bring Greta to this conference and, and to just get her voice out and to really change how we look at everything. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, okay, for another episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, please take care of yourself and then try to take care of this planet we're on. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then.